You're listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, production of the Colorado State University's Center for the New Energy Economy. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. And we're going to be talking uh, for the next four podcasts about a summer series of papers that the center mm-hmm. is producing, really looking, doing a kind of a deep dive on energy efficiency and renewable energy policies. And we've divided each of these into two each, two on efficiency, two on renewable energy. Yeah, so we, during the summer lull, we, we uh, took a step back and we said, well, what are some things that need to be written? And we, we looked through the lens of market certainty. I think that's really what, what I would say about these four papers. We looked at how certain are the policies to drive efficiency in renewables across the 50 states. Yeah, and market certainty, you know, is one of those things that is important for a variety of reasons, but from a state perspective, a lot of times states are trying to compete for for investment from companies, and companies are looking for places where they have a little bit more market certainty. It's kind of it's kind of like the implicit policy design in a way. I think the private sector definitely looks at you know when do state renewable standards expire, when do efficiency standards expire, and what percentage level are they trying to get in terms of savings and what sort of statutory language is there once a state hits their target date? If it's a, you know, 1% by 2020 efficiency standard, what happens in 2020? Does it go away? Does it continue? That sort of thing. So I think the, I think the private sector, Tom, I think the, the implementers, the technology vendors, really pay a lot of attention to that. And we're, what we're trying to do with these papers is to draw uh, policy attention to, that, to those issues. Yeah. And so... Really, the what we're doing with each of these, uh, with the two sets of four papers, two two sets of two papers each, is the first one. We uh, we look kind of back. We look at what right. are the what have been the driving policies, and what is the status of those. What are some of the lessons we learned from those? And then in each of them, we look forward as well and say, okay, for energy efficiency, what are some of the more innovative policy. Uh, policy options beyond the conventional EERS approach. And similarly with mm-hmm. renewable energy, what are some of the innovative renewable policies beyond the RPS approach? So the first paper is called Driving Energy Efficiency Markets, the Conventional Approach, really looking at what has worked. Around yeah, exactly. So so to your, to your point, for both efficiency and renewables, we look at the conventional approach, and those have been the EERS, the Energy Efficiency Resource Standards, and the renewable portfolio standards. And we've done we've done a podcast on EERS before, but let's talk a little bit about what what does that mean. Do we, we just assume that anyone listening to this podcast has listened to every other podcast both, we've ever recorded. Both people have, have heard all They've, of them. Have they, they both <laughs> caught up. Good. Okay, so we don't need to repeat ourselves for for both listeners. Well, um, ener- they're very similar. Energy efficiency resource standards are. Typically a mandate, either legislative or regulatory, but they, I think they're typically legislative, as are RPSs, for utilities, regulated utilities, to achieve, um, I should say typically regulated utilities, to achieve a certain amount of savings in a, as a percentage of retail electric sales through demand-side management or DSM programs. And uh, this might be structured as an annual target of you know one to two to three percent. Exactly. Might be structured over a period of time. So, for example, achieve fifteen percent over ten years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, the, there's this great kind of funny saying: states they're all over the map. 
when when there when when it comes to EE and RE policy, states really are all over the map. And what we tried to do here in these papers was to kind of standardize some of these again market certainty assumptions. And we looked at not only how stringent are the EERS targets, but what are the target dates. So you know. Um, there was a really fast ramp up in adoption of EERSs in the 2007 to 2010 timeframe. And there's a chart, figure four, in the first paper there that shows that the, the initial adoptions, um, there, there are well over a dozen, probably closer to two dozen states that adopted their EERS first in 2007 to 2010. Now, there have been some successive you know, increases. You know, they've tweaked them. Modifications. Modifications. Yeah. But, but that was a rapid period of adoption. Prior to that period, there were only a handful of states that actually had a mandate for energy efficiency. And so we're seeing uh, those standards as we look forward. Um, those are going to expire. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them expire around the 2020 time frame. Um, and so the question is, you know, number one, what are some of the things that make these policies more effective, mm -hmm. uh, create greater market certainty? What are the components that are most effective of those resource standards? And then also in the second paper, we start to talk about, okay, what comes after 2020? What are some of the options that are available to these states that are going to see their, right. their resource standards go away? Right, exactly. Um, and one of the things, there was a, a study that we reference in this paper, the Steinberg and Zinnemann study, that suggests that the existing EERSs, um, if they're fully implemented, they could reduce electricity demand by 3% in 2015 and 4 to 6% nationally by 2020, which is a significant amount a lot of, of, energy. Of, of energy reduction. And what does that mean? Well, that means... Maybe you're, you don't have to build a new generation station. The, the, the rate base doesn't, the entire rate base doesn't have to pay for more generation because you're able to reduce your demand by this much, as well as the you know, various different pollution implications. Of well, I think that's, you know, three to four percent. That's, that's multiple. That's probably dozens of power plants, right? Yeah. If you think the U.S. consumes about uh, 100 quads of energy a year, three to four percent savings, um, you know, is three to four quads of energy. That's a lot of gigawatt hours. And as and so, we're seeing, you know, for, for particularly coal plants start to age out, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the coal plants that were built back in the 1960s, 1970s, starting to reach the end of their useful life. And these regulators are uh, faced with this question of, do we replace this generation or do mm -hmm. we have other alternatives? Um, you know, energy efficiency becomes a true resource they can they can lean on. Well, I think there's um, those are all really good points. I think there's 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 little dispute that EE and demand side management is a least or or the least cost resource. You know, in the three to four cents per kilowatt hour range, typically. Um, I think there's a growing consensus that it's also a least risk resource. Yeah, we reference uh, a study in this in this paper that tried to chart out the risk mm -hmm. of various different resources across the board, and mm -hmm. and uh, you know as as you said, coming up as the least cost, least risk resources is uh, energy efficiency, and risk is something that I think increasingly regulators are starting to look at because there is so much uncertainty that's associated with 
you know, the costs of maybe emission compliance uh, mm-hmm. uh, regulations, the cost of fuel as mm-hmm. it's changing over time. Um, you environmental know, tra- compliance risk, environmental water risk, transportation of, yeah. of fuel, all these <laughs> things create more risk associated. And when you're talking about a 40-year to 60-year investment, those risks can really have serious financial implications. Yeah. So, but but even if it's least cost and least risk, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's sort of automatic in the resource plans. Right. That, that we're automatically going to fully deploy energy efficiency. And I think that's what this first paper is all about. If you imagine a bell curve where what we were describing before, that rapid ramp up between 2007 and 2010 of states adopting energy efficiency resource standards, um, they have a lifetime. They have a uh, compliance period, you know, X percentage by 2020 or 2% by 2025. Well, what happens in 2020? Yeah. What happens in 2025? And that's really what we devoted this paper to, to say, how do state policymakers, again, think about this market certainty? Think about how to position their states in terms of a good place to invest for the long term, not just what are we doing next year or next quarter or next two years, but for the next 10 or 15 years, is our state going to have a commitment to energy efficiency? And what's interesting is that when you look at the 30-some-odd the states that have an energy efficiency resource standard, they, the language, the last sentence in many cases of that statute that sort of sets the final target and what happens after the final target is really kind of what we're looking at. So some states, some states first off have voluntary standards. So Utah has a voluntary efficiency standard. That's so that's going to be at one effective. end of the... Yeah. It's going to be one... It may be effective, but it's in terms of certainty we would and say signal to the marketplace. not very certain because very it's voluntary, certain. right? It's more certain than no standard, right. <laughs> but it's still not it's still not something you can kind of take to the bank. Um, then it's sort of you know there's a range of whether states set a target in statute, X percentage in statute, you know, very sort of black and white right there for for the market to see. But a lot of states defer, and and many would argue this is appropriate defer that decision to the Public Utilities Commission right. to so set the appropriate savings target. Yeah, so there's a little bit of, of potential variation in what that target would be, which adds uncertainty, which then uh, decreases your market certainty. Exactly, so, what, a, what a given commission's disposition is for energy efficiency, right. for example. And, cha- and with changing commissions over time, how do you, you, you may have a great commission that uh, is putting in robust standards today, but that might not be true exactly. five years from now. Some statutes say that the commission can change this, the, uh, the savings levels, but they can only change them upward. Mm-hmm. Um, some give them full discretion. In other cases, um, you know, some states can set continuous targets. Uh, Connecticut's one. Uh, Minnesota is one. That set continuous annual target increases um, in statute. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be sort of the gold standard of certainty yeah. on, on that one, right? That, that once these targets are hit, that they will, be, they will increase on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. So there's a spectrum here. Mm-hmm. And, and we're trying to really kind of call attention to that. And sort of the, 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 the crux graph in this first paper, figure six, which, which we created, we try to put states on this certainty spectrum of is their savings target less than 1% or more than 1%? And one percent is kind of yeah per year. That's kind of the that's kind of the um, the middle of the pack, I would say. 
you know, in the West here, most utilities on average are saving about 1% per year today. Mm-hmm. And so um, are, you, are you below that average or above that average in terms of your standard per year? And then as we just talked about, where do you fall in the spectrum of no standard to voluntary to deferring to a commission to set targets, directing a commission to set ongoing targets, statutory targets that increase? There really is a range in that that bubble chart, that spot chart that we have there really is our best attempt to look at um, you know, where states fall in that certainty spectrum. And, you, and to increase certainty, you kind of want to be um, you know, up and to the right on that graph where Minnesota and Michigan and Connecticut are. Uh, we really feel that that's a clear signal to the market. And maybe, <clears throat> I don't know if you'd agree with this, but maybe one of the first places that states can go in terms of determining where they should set, because it's sort of an arbitrary number, where do we, what do we set our percent at? Right? Yeah. What's a, yeah. Is, is to do some sort of a market study. What is, what is the available market, the potential market, the market potential for energy efficiency in our state? Is it 1.5% per year? Is it 3% per year? Is it 2 What What exactly is yeah. that potential? And then build off that in order to establish what your what your state uh, should set as a as a goal. Another thing that we see in re- in uh, EERS is are some bonus incentives, right? So we see sometimes you know if a a utility may have a target, but there might be some sort of a bonus if they can exceed that target as an incentive to get that utility to overperform on energy efficiency. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think you're 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 setting up quite well. Paper the second paper. Oops. Which. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about the first paper, yeah, but, that's but right. this no, this is really good stuff because the um, a potential study certainly is is the the rule of thumb for setting uh, you know what is an achievable least cost target, and then incentives for utilities to to go higher or beginning at least with decoupling. Those are things that we really unpack a little bit in the second paper as um, policy elements that uh, could exist alone mm-hmm. or in tandem with an EERS. And um, I think, you know, this this policy takes some understanding, whether it's an EERS or these other policies that kind of hang to it. Um, and that's why we, we wrote these papers. But you're absolutely right, Tom. I think beyond just setting the percentage and the date, I guess the best way I could say it is that these aren't just sort of set it and forget it policies, that they need to be maintained. They need to be maintained, and oftentimes there are also foundations upon which other policies build. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we've talked about, and and you know, we'll get into this in our discussion of the second paper, but things like all cost-effective requirements, or mm-hmm. um, you know, the various different cost-effectiveness tests that might be associated with energy efficiency. All these various different things build upon that that foundation of an EERS. So the. Uh, the paper is uh, available for download. We'll have a link to it on the uh, podcast page so people can find it pretty easily. Driving Energy Efficiency Markets, the Conventional Approach. That's part one of our summer how series. Much, how much are we charging for this paper? This paper is going to really set you back. It's uh, zero. Free, free yeah. 99. Free, nine, free 99. Free 99. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good deal. Um, so Check it out. Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast. 
production of Colorado State University, the Center for the New Energy Economy. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Lane. Thanks a lot for listening.